Welcome to On Target, the podcast helping software sales leaders drive more pipeline and close transformational deals. I'm your host, Alex Elaine. Let's get into it. Well, it's absolutely feasible. I mean, all, all of these conversations, Laura, they're just a war on perceived value. So yeah. you have an offer that costs 5K. It's not that 5K is inherently expensive. It's whether the reality of that person's situation and your ability to take them from A to Z is deemed to be five or 10X in value what you're charging. So it's, yeah. it's never that the price point is the barrier. It's whether you can generate enough perceived value based on what you're offering, how that person perceives your ability to get them there. Brilliant. Laura, let me know how I can help. Awesome. Um, so just to give you a background, Ali, I come from a corporate background within the security industry um, and I've worked my way up quite quickly uh, and I'm now going into an account manager role. But on the side, I have been dabbling in sales particularly high ticket sales. So that started at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And essentially I was just in a position of like learning from various mentors. You know, I've done a course um, and I was looking for offers. Now I've had about four or five offers now that haven't kind of, you know, transpired into anything in particular and haven't really given me the opportunity to, um, you know, learn the skill of sales in depth or get as much experience as possible. In saying that, I am in a current role as an appointment setter. So most of my roles are closers, but this role is my first appointment setter role. And again, you know, just seen a few red flags. So besides sales, I've also been doing virtual assistant work on the side. And um, that's been going really well. And not only in my job, but also in general with my clients and things like that. I've always had great commendations about my work ethic and, you know, my standard of production. And that's going well right so I had a thought about whether I should actually start I guess offering coaching um within the VA space as a service and potentially create my own high ticket sales offer um or should I focus on still getting sales experience and you know learn as much as I can so I'm, I'm in a bit of a pickler to do I still try and find an offer that will give me that experience or do I take the risk um, to, you know, start something on my own, essentially. And that's the reason why I thought I'd uh, get the call with you and get your advice. Really interesting dilemma, if you want to call it that. And it's probably a, a good problem to have in that you've got two very different but interesting paths that you could take. Laura, if yeah. you have a blank check and a magic wand and you could design your life, what would life look like? What is that vision? So that vision would be having the freedom and, you know, optionality to do what it is that I want. Um, this year, my goal has been to acquire my first five-figure month. So that's something I'm still currently working towards. I'm getting closer and closer, but, you know, it's still something I am looking to achieve. Um, but yeah, really to be, you know, as people would say, financially free and just be able to make decisions for myself. So in saying that, though, I am more than happy to learn. You know, like I said, in my corporate job, I've climbed the ladder very quickly. 
I, you know, I know about your, your view already on having a corporate job and, you know, being able to learn so many things, I enjoy it. However, the ultimate goal is to have that freedom and, you know, eventually help other people down the line. Got it. That, that's really helpful. And the reason I asked is just to help me shape my thoughts in terms of where you go next. So you've now got this option of, in essence, taking what you've learned and starting your own thing or spending more time acquiring more skills or at least deepening your knowledge and understanding of the high ticket space. So yeah. when I um zoom out and just think about this holistically, or you look at any business holistically, it's, it's really a conveyor belt, which has got a few core pillars on it. Um, so if we simplified or distilled down you setting up this VA business, you're going to need some way to generate traffic, i.e. leads. You, you then need to be able to qualify those leads, which is what you're doing right now, close yeah. them, and then fulfill them, right? Drive service to need for it. And so I'd encourage you to, in essence, look in the mirror and do a bit of a self audit to say, based on where you are right now, when you look at those four pillars, what can, you know, how effective are you at each of women to what degree? And where would you need support for someone or a set of skills to fulfill those other, those other pillars? Because mm-hmm. if, if your end state is, it sounds like the book on wealthy and freedom, infinity, uh, the best path to get you there at a certain point is going to be you setting up your own agency because that's the thing that over time will breed the most optionality but yeah. you need that life and clarity that if you do that today you haven't yet built that base of skills to be the most effective closer that you could be you've got again have clarity about where are you getting traffic it sounds like you've got a great set for the qualification component and it sounds like you've got a pretty good set for the fulfillment component so I would just look at those aspects of the conveyor belt and just really figure out what can you more role in from May one versus role for any support. Sure. One thing I will say, Alex, is being a part of various businesses as a closer and now as an appointment setter, I have been able to observe how they are filling their services how they're, you know, dealing with needs, how they're acquiring needs, et cetera. And I've done a fair bit of kind of, you know, practice myself in terms of cold calling, you know, um, outreach, whether that's warm leads or, or cold leads, whatever it is. So if I'm to answer your question now, just based on what area I would definitely need support on, it will be on billing. And the reason I say that is because when it comes to VA stuff, I have been doing it for myself for about uh, coming up to a year. Um, but I wouldn't say I have the most experience. I wouldn't say I have, you know, the best kind of, um, use of varied tools and things like that. However, I've dabbled, right? So my, the reason I'm in this dilemma and I'm really considering what to do is because I'm a big believer in credibility and I don't want to, I guess, put myself in a position where I don't come across as credible because I haven't had as much experience. However, in my lifetime, I've 
been very successful in just kind of winging it and it's worked out. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it's measured of you to think about it in that way. And what I would say, Laura, is that there's a couple of things to consider there. One is that it depends what your offer to the market is. So if, for example, you, you, your offer was, uh, we provide a service where we upskill a VA based on 10 years of experience of doing it, but this doesn't quite correlate. Um, but if you have got a blueprint in a system which takes someone from point A, point A to point Z and you're charging for that and you know that you can categorically fulfill on, fulfill on that promise, then you should feel good and confident about going for it. If the reality is, is that due to your lack of expertise, there is just a gap in the offer that you want to make when you're going to be support, then you need to reconsider. The only other thing to bear in mind, though, is that the woman is that, sorry, boy, there's not a lot of background noise. I don't know if it's not going on anymore. I don't know why. Hold on. It might be a bit of echo. Uh, don't worry, I think it's... Sorry about that. I mean, no stress. The only other thing I was going to add is that while you have that, uh, for example, in fulfillment, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you hiring a coach or someone who can do fulfillment that does have more depth of expertise than you. Um, if your yeah. specialty is higher up the stack, the qualification, jumping on calls, then great, spend your time there and go and hire someone who's been a VA for 20 years and have them manage the fulfillment and you be the overseer. That way right. you can probably have more confidence in your offer and your ability to deliver the outcome for the prospect. Yeah. So when you mentioned earlier about, you know, from what you said anyway, what aligns with me is getting that prospect from point A to point B. Because I've had a lot of people want my services, but I, I'm only one person, so I can't offer them what I um, my services, right? So if I was to, I guess, fulfill some sort of promise of, you know, look, you know, I know how to get there and I'll have to show you how to attract leads, but also I could potentially offer you, you know, uh, an offer at the end because some people just don't, they haven't even started. Do you see that as something that's quite feasible? Well, it's absolutely feasible. I mean, all, all of these conversations, Laura, they're just a war on perceived value. So yeah. you have an offer that costs 5K. It's not that 5K is inherently expensive. It's whether the reality of that person's situation and your ability to take them from A to Z is deemed to be 5 or 10x in value what you're charging. So it's, yeah. it's, it's never that the price point is the barrier it's whether you can generate enough perceived value based on what you're offering how that person perceives your ability to get them there if they believe yeah. that enough pain in their current situation and you are the most efficient way to get them out of that felt pain and into a new outcome they're going to pay you whatever it takes but mm -hmm. if they don't if there's a mismatch there that's where you'll have friction. And that's why some people start their businesses offering things like free trials to then get case studies and then leverage those case studies to then ramp up your price. So sometimes you have to start in a certain place 
and then scale up over time. Um, I'll yes. do Laura. I hope this has been helpful. Uh, I've got to keep these. I've, uh, we're in a, at 11 minutes. I've got to try and keep them to 10. Um, but I hope that this has been helpful for you. And please do keep me uh, updated. I'd love to hear how, you, how this pans out for you. No, thank you so much, Alex. I'm sorry again about the echo. Um, but yeah, that has been really useful. So I'll definitely take that away and have a think about it. So yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. Enjoy your Saturday. Cheers, Laura. Thank you. Bye, Alex. Bye. Luke, good morning. Good to meet you. How can I help? Um, yeah, uh, morning, Alex. Um, so obviously I saw your LinkedIn post, um, followed your content on LinkedIn for a while now. Um, I just thought I'd reach out really, seeing that you were obviously doing these calls, um, for a bit of advice around how to sort of, um, map out, you know, the next sort of few years of my career in, um, sort of SaaS sales, uh, I'm a, a, just recently moved into an enterprise account exec role um, and, you know, just want a bit of advice on terms of how I can plan the next few years to get to that sort of next step of my career, basically. Great. Well, first of all, congrats on the, the promotion and appreciate the support. T tell me just in short summary, Luke, a bit about your career to date and also the vision that you have for yourself personally and professionally when you look ahead. Um, yeah, great. So in terms of my career today, I started in a, a BDR, SDR role sort of four or five years ago now, um, and then in, fell into sort of more of a, an SMB uh, account exec role. Um, uh, at the time, they were more, was more called like a business development manager, um, sort of same, same. So um, yeah, I've worked fell into SMBs for a couple of years and then sort of stepped up into the mid-market space. Uh, and then recently been able to gain myself to exposure to an enterprise role, um, talking to uh, obviously bigger businesses with longer sales cycles, but um, average contract value is obviously a, a lot bigger. So um, in terms of my vision for the future, where, where I'd like to see myself is staying as an individual contributor, um, but really sort of getting the experience where I am now of dealing with enterprises and you know, managing multiple stakeholders through a decision-making process to, you know, eventually step up to, um, you know, a senior enterprise AE role. Um, whether that's at the business I am now, um, we haven't got, uh, you know, those sort of people selling to sort of senior enterprise but, um, or, or another organisation, you know. Got it. And, and tell me a bit more about, just on the personal front, Luke, you know, what are you doing all of this for? What gets you out of bed every day? Um, financial motivation, Alex, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, I, I don't like to, to settle. I know what, what's possible in terms of, um, personal career and financial growth. If you, you just graft and work, um, and the sky's essentially the limit with it, isn't it? So, um, you know, I'm actually massively financially motivated, you know, want to essentially create generational wealth for, you know, my future family and, um, family I've got around me at the moment. Got it. Got it. Well, that, that sounds great. Look, Luke, just to zoom out a little bit here, the, the reason I was asking you about where you want to go personally and professionally is because really what your current career path is going to be able to do for you is definitely make a, a great start in building wealth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, high multi-six figures, potentially early seven figures, depends on the company you're at and what you're selling and offering. And you're also going to build a, a ton of skills that will build 
brand equity and give you value on the open market. But yeah. when you start to talk about generational wealth, that then becomes a, a slightly different conversation because you need to then be very thoughtful about the way you map out your career. Um, yeah. As an enterprise AE, you know, can you drive generational wealth? I, I would say you're going to have a, a tough time. Certainly mm -hmm. uh, top performers, you know, can do early in the seven figures. It's rare that you start to talk about eight figures plus. So depending yeah. on what generational wealth means to you, it may mean that at a certain point you want to go down the journey of crushing it as an enterprise AE, putting money in the bank, uh, and then either starting your own company for a big exit or yeah. joining a young company with a compelling stock plan, riding the journey all the way through and then having a big liquidation event at the end. Those are the types of things that can facilitate generational wealth. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me know with all of that said, Luke, you know, have you got any specific questions, specific areas that you wanted some some wisdom on? Yeah, of course. So, uh, in terms of my the the main struggle I'm having with with my current position is that um, the the business I, I, I'm currently at um, we are we specifically sell to one sector historically. You know, we we specialize in one sector, and I've joined the business to to sort of lead the enterprise sales function in all of the sectors that we're we're sort of. Um, young to now, you know. How would you advise on on simple way for you know educating the market on the art of what's possible with with a new solution that they might not be used to? Um, because although we've got a, a marketing function, um, everything at the moment within the business is quite aligned to the existing sector we've um, we've historically sold to and are still selling to. So I've come in to have to disrupt things and, and sort of. Um, create new avenues of revenue um, outside of what the business is used to. Pretend for a moment, Luke, that I'm one of your ideal prospects. So I've got mm. the DNA of the exact type of persona that you would go after. Mm. Pitch me. H how can you help me? <clears throat> Pitch you in terms of, you know, talking through what the, what the actual product does. Yeah, t talk me through how you help someone like Fantastic, yeah. So, <clears throat> essentially, the, the platform that I I work with um, it essentially allows non technical end users. So, let's say if you're you're an IT director, Alex, <clears throat> and you want to create business applications in your organisation, for you to do that, if you don't have an internal development resource, you have to go to market. It takes a long period of time. Um, you know, you have to go back to that development team. Should you want to change anything? And if you do have an internal development resource or a full stack development team in house, then only inundated with projects, you know, thousand times get to, to touch anything new. Now, the product I, I I'm trying to put in front of you and propose to you is essentially a platform that allows your non-technical end users, so departmental people, HR, and um, legal, marketing, and um, event management to spin up create and manage their own applications um through um low code no code um so essentially it can manage that function still and hold ownership over the project but it allows it to you know 
not have to dedicate the resource themselves specifically because we have our own internal development team to support those end users in, in bringing their concepts to reality. And the beauty of it is, Alex, that the end user always knows what they need specifically. Sometimes what IT can be quite naive in doing is um, thinking that, um, you know, that normally they're right, but thinking of this is what we need from an app, but actually normally what the end user says they need is the, the thing that's going to fix the problem that they're facing. Um, and we allow them to use to do that and create those apps through our platform. Got it. So Luke, this is what goes through my head. It's mm. Luke knows what he's offering. You clearly understand it. Great. Too long, too lengthy, too many words. Um, when we're talking about educating the market, you've got to appreciate, Luke, that this is there's a war on attention right now. Forever you're trying to get a hold of that IT director, you've got a thousand other reps trying to do the same. So yeah. what I would love to know is that if I spoke to you again, you could in one to two sentences let me know who you are and how you can help me, right? Without it taking two to three minutes. And I appreciate you not won that for the sake of this call. But, it, you know, I said to you, I am that person now, go, right? And you need to be so audible ready that you can just reel off. If someone asks you on the street, this is who I am, this is how I can help, boom, boom, boom. Let's have yes. discuss, let's expand. And... You've got to take the time to really look through what are the outcomes, the quantifiable things that you can, the transformation that you can drive for someone and how can yeah. you set that up and just make it as punchy as possible, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's got to be your immediate next step here. Yeah, yeah, because then I can go and take that and have conversations, you know, rapid conversations and with as many people as possible without needing, you know, 15, 20 minutes of everyone's time. Correct. Exactly. That's step one. And then there's, of course, a load of other things that would follow. But I hope that's been helpful. Really great to meet you. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Yeah, fantastic, Ali. Speaking to you. Great pleasure. Thank you, Ali. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Oliver, great to meet you. How can I help? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a different one, really. I mean, um, I just saw your calendar this morning, so I thought it was the the beginning there, right? So... I um I work in the recruitment sector and I started my own business about a week ago and I've been in there for about nine years, right? And I'm looking to kind of take my my kind of career not my career, but my knowledge to the next level, right? And I understand that in your industry, you know, kind of B2B siding, um, I feel like you guys sell products a lot more efficiently compared to other recruiters, right? I'm trying to really understand, you know, how you guys package your products, how you really understand your customers and trying to use that to implement into my own business, if that makes sense. I, I see. Well, first of all, congrats on uh, going off on your own. Sounds like a, a big step, but a really exciting one. So talk to me about what your sales process slash recruitment process looks like at the moment. So at the minute, um, so I've got a focus to build um team for data staffs across uh, the us and the uk right so my let's say my sell is more so i can guarantee an x amount of hires in x amount of time kind of depending on you know your solution what you need and when 
Um, and it's more of working in partnership, right? Um, as the typical recruitment processes, um, pay on placement where I'm going into more commitment projects with my clients. Um, so it's trying to like package that to senior stakeholders, um, on more of a business to business side rather than seeing them as a, a customer, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to get my head around that. I see. I see. And, and how do you position that offer to your target market at the moment? What's your framing like? Um, so, so I mean, how do I go out and win business, you mean, in general? Well, when, you, when you're in front, imagine I'm one of your prospects. Yeah. Pitch me, right? What, why, you, why would I leverage your service? Well, first of all, it, I, I need to understand, you know, what you need, right? Um, and then I can go into, you know, how I can help assist you because, um, most of my clients might be the consultancy, right? So they have deadlines there, they have project targets. So I can say, okay, well, here's what I've done for X, Y, and Z in the past. Here's how I help them meet deadlines. Um, and we can put a framework in place to make these hires so that you can focus on your role. And I can guarantee that these will be made by this time. See, okay, okay. What's going through my mind right now, Oliver, is that you, as we're speaking about here, need to get to a place where, in essence, you can productize a service offering. And what I mean by that is that you need to create more of a, a system around the way that you execute. So when I ask you that question, your, your knee-jerk response is to say, well, I need to understand what the client needs and then I'll put something together to fit their needs, which is a, a fair response and I understand why you're saying that. But based on the evolution that you want to have, the journey that you need to start to go on is to actually systemize what the execution looks like for the customer and the outcomes that you would expect for them as long as they fit into a particular customer profile. So to try and make that make yeah. a more sense, in our world, as in, in SaaS sales, you know, if we looked at a typical sales cycle, we would start with a discovery call. Then we'd go into something we call a differentiate phase, which is typically where you're doing a demonstration. Then we'd go into a technical workshop, which is where we are unblocking any and mitigating any potential technical risks. And then there's several other stages. There's typically about eight stages that will go into that process. And we yeah, know okay. we go after a particular type of customer and we execute those eight stages in a particular way that we will then expect this type of outcome within this type of time frame. So what that means, constant predictability in our model, because then all it becomes, well, as long as we speak to enough prospects and we deliver this system, we're going to get this outcome. And that's how you set up the business for scale. And it's also how you can deliver better outcomes for your customers because you've got more predictability in your front end model, which also streamlines the way that you fulfill quite client requirements as well. Because if, if it's systemized, it's much easier to also systemize fulfillment. Um, right. So I'll pause there. Does that, all of that make sense? 
Yeah, I think that's what I'm just trying to get my head around, right? And it's more so staying out now to someone like yourself because also I've got um I've got a pitch deck about I like and I bring the client through on the technical similar to your exploratory call, right? Where I take them through step by step process what I'll be doing. Um so I have the working there about how I'll be doing it, what stages I'll be doing things in, right? But it's more about, like you said, probably having more of a um, uh, um, like a, a systemized approach, right? To sell instead. It, uh, that's what I'm trying to work out. So, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate your uh, your words. Yeah, it's, it's on both sides of the coin. So it's it's a system in terms of the process by which you engage a client, which it sounds like you've given some thought to. But then it's also a system for the way that you execute, right? Because the other half of what we do is there's things such as uh, the way that you shape decision criteria uh, versus just asking a customer, what is your uh, decision criteria? There's ways to go about shaping that criteria. Uh, and there's all of these uh, bits of nuance that you want to really obsess around so that every time you engage with a client, not only are you walking them through a process, but you've got a system way that you execute because it's the way that you execute that makes the model truly predictable. Because if you give, uh, say you hired five salespeople and they all understand the process, the only thing yeah. that dictate their results is their ability to execute. So you've got to have a system around the execution as well as a system around the process. That's how you then start to actually scale responsibly. I see. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. But I think I'm missing the systemized approach then because I've got how and what, not how, not, not it all together. That's what I'm, that's what it, 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 it kind of sounds like. So, okay. You're almost halfway there. You're, you're kind of 50% where you've, you're, you're further along with process, but you haven't yet given the mind share to the execution, to systemizing the execution. So break down every single individual component of when you engage with a customer, every single part of it from not only the things that you say and the way you go about moving them from interest to, you know, awareness to interest to, you know, all of the other parts that go into that. Document everything, but even your tonality, um, you know, the way that you engage, the way you set an agenda. What does that look like? What's the order of that? I mean, depending on the level you take this to, you know, I've obsessed over every micro stage of these things. And okay. that then allows you, especially when you build a team, to hold that team accountable because you know, well, hey, this person is struggling in their discovery calls. But then you have the parts of the system to say, well, this is what goes into a great discovery call. We need an agenda set in this way and in this order. We need tonality to be this particular way. And then you can hold the team accountable and it's much easier for you to know where you and your team are falling short. Okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's what I kind of wanted to understand a, a bit more. And I was just like, I've still got you. Oh, no, I've got about 30 seconds left. But okay. <laughs> Yeah, deleted on your journey. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. 
Uh, thanks for scheduling in some time, but enjoy your Saturday and please do keep me updated. You too, man. Have a great weekend. Cheers. You too. Take care now. Bye. Good morning there. Do you want me asking how I pronounce your name? It's Phineas. Phineas. Phineas, nice to meet you. How can I help? Good, good. Um, just thanks for calling. I guess uh, looking at my time, it was scheduled uh, at 11.50, so... Give me a minute. I was actually thinking we'll get started uh, at 11.50, but all good. Thanks for calling. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Apologies. I just noticed I did call you five minutes. Uh, back and you make our work. No, no, that, that's great. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if you got the summary of kind of where I am and what I'm up to, but uh, ideally I uh, work with senior leaders, general um, and I started kind of independently consulting more recently um, and just looking to more assist people really with making um, hiring decisions and management and also looking at how they can grow uh, and, and, and pick kind of the top A players when they're picking their teams, right? Using kind of a data-driven model rather than it being... Uh, yeah, you know, basically emotional or just like you feel like you connect with an individual, but using and understanding what those people's traits are. Um, yeah, it's like give you a bit of color. So how are you hoping I can help? So I was just hoping you could uh, help me think through some of the strategies of connecting with uh, people that could potentially be my customers, right? Ideally, um, some, and, and actually figuring out ways to build that funnel for myself. And what are you doing at the moment? At the moment, I have been tapping into my personal network uh, as well as kind of my professional network from people I've worked with before and starting to uh, identify what their pain points are and then kind of build it from there. So tell me more about your target demographic. Who are you trying to reach and where do they spend most of their time? So the people I'm trying to reach are mainly CEOs uh, from, uh, and I would say any business really, but even uh, it could be sales organization, but CEOs or C-level individuals um, who are decision makers, number one, because obviously um, we need people who would be able to actually make the decision to take on the training and uh, go through the program. And then uh, in that senior leadership team, whether it's C-level or the CEO specifically, we would be looking at kind of breaking those down and, and uh, bringing in as many other managers that fall under that group to go through that, that training model. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Well, tell me more about this persona. So you want to go after CEOs, but what I want to know is where are they based? What's their age profile? Um, where do they spend their time online? This is, this is all about knowing your customer. So tell me about your customer. So my customer is, well, online it's a bit of a challenge because I think some CEOs don't necessarily convert from online. There's an element of, um, you have to have a either connection or an introduction or some way to to find that hook, right? So the persona of this person would be, let's say, a 
um, running a company that's at least probably minimum, um, maybe 10, I'll say 10 million uh, and above and have uh, uh, an organization, you know, at least maybe 15 plus employees. Um, and it doesn't matter location where they are really, but uh, I would say, well, for now, I'm based in the UK at the moment, but uh, I also have a strong network in the US. Phineas, you want me to tell you what I believe your primary issue is? Mm-hmm. Just just four minutes in. I, I don't believe that you actually truly know who your customer is. Um, I, I don't believe you know your ideal customer profile. And the reason I say that is when I ask these questions, it's not just looking for the answer. I'm looking for how audible ready are you? And what I mean is how fluid is your answer? Because the fluidity to your answer tells me how well you generally know the question that I'm asking. And I don't feel that you've necessarily taken enough time. You're trying to reach a demographic that you don't really know much about. You've got to take some time to do some research to say, well, the, the people that have the highest propensity to buy what I'm selling are CEOs from this demographic in this particular grouping. This is where they spend their time and this is how they spend their time. When you understand and know your customer to that level, actually reaching them and doing your lead generation becomes far simpler because you don't have to do all of this guesswork you know where they are and you know where they spend your time and then you shape your messaging around the knowledge that you have around them. But you can't try and specifically reach them when you've not taken the time to know and understand them. And you can do that either by surveying them, coffee conversations, interviews, things of that nature, pull together the key trends. You know, what are the commonalities in what you hear and what you see? And once you piece that together, that forms the basis of your lead generation strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that you, you've got to reverse engineer what you're doing right now. Don't obsess over the, I'm not generating enough leads or traffic. Obsess around the, I need to go away and understand my customer and my prospects more intimately than anyone else right? I want to know everything about them. That then becomes the foundation of any campaign you have moving forward. Fair enough. That, that Yeah, that definitely. That makes sense. Brilliant. Anything else, Phineas? I, I guess on the other end, end was uh, looking at building kind of my uh, mentorship network because I, I also was looking and identifying, of course, I've been um, Kind of following your journey in general through um, uh, the, the the last couple of years, um, and I love your style, love everything you do. Um, but my challenge is also being to uh, able to find kind of a, a mentor in the space that I can actually you know relate to and talk to. First of all, thank you for the support. I really appreciate that, Phineas. Who who do you know that has walked? the same type of journey that you specifically want to walk for the nature of your business? Um, that, that's a good question, actually, because I need to figure that out. Who, who, who do I know that has walked my journey or, or, or the journey that I want to um, potentially kind of chart for myself in the future? I, that, yeah, I have to figure that out. 
that's step one again here, right? I mean, <clears throat> that you're not going to be the first person that has built what you're trying to build, or at least that has the ingredients of what you're trying to build. So you, you've got to shortlist some people. And the, the best thing I could advise you to do is to not try and get free mentorship from them, pay them. Um, if they've gone and built what you want to build, pay them monthly for consulting. Ask for their blueprint. Ask them to give you the exact breakdown of what they did and then replicate it. You know, the fastest way for you to speed run where you're trying to go is paid mentorship and coaching that gives you a step-by-step -step breakdown of how you get from A to Z. Um, okay. So find those people spend some money with them, get close to them and follow their blueprint. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that you, you, uh, subscribe to the model of actually going in and paying, because of course, sometimes the hard part is, is getting that right person and then discovering after you've paid, it's not really the right person. You want, you want them to be all in as you would, as you would for your own business. And you'll never get that when you try and dip your toe in or, or get them to work for you for free. You, you've got to, it's all about ROI. You know, if I asked you for 10,000 pounds, but I give you a hundred thousand pounds back worth of value, then 10,000 pounds, not a lot, is it? If I asked you for a million pounds and gave you 10 million back in value, that million's not a lot of money. So you've got to find someone where you know you're going to put Eps in and you're going to get Y back. And Y back is five, 10, 20 times in value what you've had to put in. That's your job. Um, Phineas, I hope this has been helpful. It's been great to speak to you and enjoy the rest of your Saturday. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Alex. Great pleasure. You take care now. Bye-bye. Yes. Matthew, great to meet. How can I be helpful? Um, so I'll start a new role tomorrow. Uh, it's kind of like an apprentice role because I've just finished my A-levels. So I was just kind of wondering, you know, how to kind of position myself in the best way in terms of, you know, embarking on this new journey in my career. Okay, so you've just finished your A-levels. Yeah. Start a new job tomorrow. Tell me about the job. Uh, so it's an advisory role and kind of like an audit role in um, international international like finance and like development. So it's a lot of work with the United Nations and like non-government agencies and stuff like that or non-profit agencies as well where we just kind of provide advice, solutions and all of that type of stuff. Okay. And what will you be doing specifically? Uh, for the first few months, I'll be shadowing somebody um, on different projects. I know the first project I've been allocated to is a um, project taking place in Kenya for like um, orphans and widows and stuff like that uh, with a company just kind of providing solutions, seeing how they can operate tax efficiently, effectively and all of that type of stuff. I see. Okay. And what made you choose to go down that path? Um, I've kind of always known I wanted to do something in terms of um, relating to finance. And I think the easiest way to kind of get into finance at my age, if you don't want to go into university, is kind of like even order apprenticeship or like an accountant apprenticeship because with finance, the base level of that is pretty much a waste of like your ACA. ACCA or CIA names, things uh, relating to like accounting. 
So I always kind of knew that I wanted to get into something that had to do with accounting, just at like the base level of my career. And I could obviously grow into something more specialized. And uh, whereby I had the opportunity for me to travel, I liked traveling and just working with the agencies that were listed and like the organizations that were listed, something that kind of appealed to me. I see. How old are you, Matthew? 18. You're 18. And who do you want to be over the next few years? What's the vision you have for yourself in your life? Um, I think obviously as a black person, I'd say in the industry, a black young individual, I think I just, I'm just striving to kind of get into like management or the more respected roles in the industry, kind of make my career, uh, connections, network upwards, kind of just be the base and the foundation whereby um, I can have some sort of influence or like, um, yeah, like an influence in my industry type thing. I see. I see. Well, Matthew, look, it is, it's impressive what you've done so far in the sense that you have landed a role. You've been thoughtful about that role, uh, in terms of trying to build a, a baseline of knowledge and understanding to set your future up for success, right? Because you've got, a, you'll have a baseline of um, a, a role that can really set you up for long-term sustainable success. Um, I, I wanna stay as focused as I can on, on making this as impactful a call as possible. So just remind me, how are you hoping I can be helpful? Um, just kind of uh, offer some advice. Uh, kind of like, you know, in terms of the best mindset to go in with, um, into the industry and the workplace, um, kind of ways I can position myself to kind of accelerate myself and have that streamlined process and get into where I want, want to be in, um, the industry or in my career journey and kind of just like some, you know, discipline advice. Completely. Well, look, let me share a few things. The first thing I'd say, Matthew, is to always be urgent. And what I mean by be urgent is when you're new into a company and you want to make an impression, what you don't want to be is the person who's just comfortable with the status quo. Be being urgent is someone that comes in with vision, drive, and intent to make a difference. And every day that you come in, and you, and you look back on the day, you're able to look at that day and say, have I made a difference? What have I done that has moved the needle? And you always want to be urgent about that. You never want to be comfortable in just letting the day pass you by. You should always be thinking about what's the difference? How have I moved the needle? How have I moved myself in this business forward? And so that's what I mean by being urgent, right? The yep. A second aspect to this, because you spoke about discipline, is for you to really ingrain in your, your brain that your daily motivation is always going to fluctuate. You will have some days where you're bursting out of your bed and you're ready to go and you're loving what you're doing. And you're going to have other days where it's just going to feel tough. Everything's going to feel on top of you. And you're going to say, what am I doing? You know, have I made the right decision? Am I in the right thing? You've got to work to ingrain in your mind that your role is to get the job done no matter how you feel. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean you ignore how you feel. Uh, but what it means is that you are there to deliver outcomes regardless. And you accept that as a part of life, 
motivation peaks and it troughs, but it's, it's a bit like Nike, right? You just do it. And so when you create your routine, if that means you exercise in the morning and then you meditate and then you do your job, do everything with purpose and intent. Uh, and that's what discipline is about. It's about doing it, whether it's raining, whether it's shining, whether you're happy, sad or indifferent, you get your job done. So that's the, the second thing I would say. And the third thing I would say is to quickly get a career sponsor within the company. So you want to find someone in that company that has influence, access to power and gravitas that you can lean on that will help to accelerate your career journey. So when you start that company within the first 30 days, identify someone who can be that career sponsor, align yourself to them, find time to grab a coffee or have a virtual uh, coffee conversation and learn and share more about your respective journeys. And then make the ask of them, say, look, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm ambitious. This is where I want to get in my career. And I would love your support and sponsorship to do that. Can we meet once every four weeks? And can I keep you updated with a weekly email to let you know what I'm doing and to get your steer on that? So that's the third thing I'll say. Let me pause there, Matthew. Is that helpful? Yeah, very helpful. Wonderful. Do you have any questions on any of that? Um, I suppose when you say sponsor, because I've had a similar conversation with somebody about that, it's kind of like somebody that would advocate for you, somebody that would, you know, mention your name in conversations, um, somebody that's kind of there to kind of accelerate your growth within a company. Am I correct in that bill of Correct, yes. Um, Go on, please. What's the best way, like, because I'd say I'm very outgoing, but in some senses I'm pretty sad as well. So what's the best way in to go in kind of acquiring a sponsor? Well, the best way is you first of all got to have criteria. So you heard me mentioned uh, having influence, access to power and gravitas. So that can serve as your criteria because just because someone has a fancy job title, it doesn't mean they have those three things. So you want someone that has at least those three ingredients. And, and then it's really as simple as you leaning into that feeling of discomfort. So if you are a bit shy and that's something that you feel a bit apprehensive about, you need to tell yourself that's the exact reason why you need to reach out because the only way you're going to break out of feeling that slight bit of discomfort is to lean into the things that make you uncomfortable. And so it's a really simple thing, right? You just need to reach out. You need to reach out, um, say to that person uh, and make sure that you have the spirit of you serving them. So you being helpful to them, i.e. I'd love to learn from you and get your support, but also I'd love to be of service to you. So what are the top three priorities that you have? Is there anything I can take off of your plate? And so you've got to always consider that when you reach out, but those are a couple of ways to just think about that at least. I hope that's helpful, Matthew. It's been really great to you. 18, you've got all the talent and all the potential. So please keep me updated with your journey. Wonderful Sunday. Good luck with the new job tomorrow. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for the call as well. It's a great pleasure. Good get after it. You take care now. All right, then. Have a good day. You too. All right, bye. Great. Well, Nat, lovely to meet you. Let me know how I can help. Um, yeah, well, I mean, first of all, we have been, been following your content for, for a while on, uh, on LinkedIn. So yeah, it's, it's just really nice to speak, uh, 
above anything else, you know. Um, so, um, I think that I am in a position where I've done really well to build up the skills of being a good prospector and, uh, being good at prospecting, uh, to sell software and services, but I made the step to being uh, an account executive about six months ago. And whilst my prospecting is, and I've remained like, at, at a good level, I think I just found it really hard making the move to, to AE. Um, and the things that I found hard, I think, were moving opportunities down the funnel, uh, kind of combining self-generation of, of uh, a pipeline with um, with managing that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's been tough. And, like, it's, it's been really tough, I, I'd say. How do you feel mentally? Good question. Um, I think like probably I, I think quite like um, quite flustered, you know, quite flustered and maybe a little bit on on the edge. Uh, in 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 the, in the way of like yeah, just. You know, not 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 super confident. Got it, got it. Look, Nat, I um let let's let's talk this through. So you were an SDR, you had a level of success, top of funnel prospecting. You got promoted. You've been doing this for six months. So if we look at your sales process, right, and I can only assume that with whatever you're selling that it starts with a discovery call right mm. yeah so yeah now if we go from discovery call down the rest of your sales process where is it that you are seeing the biggest drop off is it discovery and then things fall off a cliff then are you getting to proposal and plan and then things fall off a cliff then where do you see the biggest drop off yeah, I think it is um, end of discovery, proposal is out, and then I, I think I'm, you know, I, I'm chasing, well, I don't think I am, like, I'm, I'm chasing after that, um, the, the buyer. Got it, got it. What's the average uh, order value of what you sell? Uh, around like 40k, I would say, 30 to 40k. Sales cycle length? It's a difficult one, but I, I would probably say it's anywhere between like four, maybe like maybe like three to six months. Okay, okay. So first thing that that I want you to to do and think about is that you need to start obsessing over your numbers. And mm -hmm. the, uh, when I ask you that question about where do your deals fall off, you had to stop and say, I think it's here and I think it's there. The next time we connect, you shouldn't have to think about that. When you know your business intimately, mm. tracking everything, right? I've had this many conversations. I've had this many discovery meetings. Uh, this, this percentage of my business drops off at this point. This percentage of my business drops off at this point. Only once you obsess around the data can you mm. effectively diagnose where you have the challenge and where you have the friction and what you need to do differently. 
So that's the, the first thing. The second thing I'll say is that most deals are won or lost at discovery. Mm. Discovery is how you set the stage for the rest of the sales cycle. And you get that wrong and you're playing catch up from day one. You get that right and you will find you will have less friction down the stack. So if I had to take an informed view with the little data that I have right now, I, I would immediately anticipate there's two things. Your, your discovery meetings are not done effectively enough and you mm-hmm. can't test around really the metrics around your, your sales campaigns, right? You're, you're not living and breathing your data to mm-hmm. the way you fall off. So I want to give you some pointers on your discovery meetings. But before I do that, has everything I've said so far made sense? Yeah, 100%. Um, and yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I suppose it, if I had to say in the last six months, I've sort of been winging it a little bit. You know, I haven't been meticulous in in logging down my um, the numbers. Um, but yeah, no, everything makes sense so far. Great. Just before I we touch on this discovery piece, tell me at the moment now, how do you run a discovery call? So I'll I'll go in and do an upfront contract, um, and the purpose of that will be like well, the way I set it will be like by the end of this call we'll have established if we can help you, uh, and if we can't we we can part ways there. Um, what I would then do is, so I'll, I'll set up our front contract. I'll ask if there is anything they want to get out of the call. And then I will, um, ask them, ask them some questions. I think what's been tricky is like knowing when to, knowing when to just qualify and ask loads of, you know, open questions and then sell. Uh, and I think what I've been doing is, you know, start qualifying and, and asking questions and then they get a bit pissed off because I'm, I'm asking so many questions and they'll sort of be like, well, look, you, you know, we're here because we want to understand more what you do. And that's when I feel like I sort of go into pitching mode and then I'm kind of, you know, back against the wall a bit. I'm pitching, kind of selling too hard, if that, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll ask a few questions and then roughly halfway through the call, I'll explain in a bit more detail what it is we do. Um, and sort of go from there. And then at the end, that's when, it, that's when I try to get some sort of next step in place if we're a fit. Um, and it's at that point that, yeah, typically like half people will be like, yeah, like this is a bit that have a call in a couple of weeks. And then the other half are like, well, we'll, we'll come back to you. We, we need to have a think, you know, think it over. And that's, that's really, that's really annoying. Got it. Well, look now, of course, we can't do a discovery masterclass in two minutes, but let me show a, a couple of things. Um, the first is the way you set the stage for your discovery meeting is incredibly important. And when I heard the way that you start your meeting, you mm. off on the wrong foot by saying, in essence, this is what we're here to do. If there's a fit, great. If there isn't, we'll part ways. Think about what the psychological impact of your language, your language is so important, right? Mm. When you think about a discovery call, you know, you're, you're coming with a customer, it's, you know, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, 
great to connect. We're here to spend some time so I can learn and unpack more about your current state so we can mm. whether I can be helpful in unlocking a new future state for you. I get really passionate about these conversations mm. because I do this with many customers day to day. So I'm really excited to dive in. You know, you can talk about some of your potential housekeeping things, your agenda items. But what I'm trying to encourage and instill in you is one, confidence and conviction. Two is clarity about what you're here to drive. Three, yeah. premise that you want to understand the current state to unlock a future state. And none yeah. of it is the language. You, you want it to be positive and fulfilling and getting them excited yeah. about where they're going. Yeah. But right now, what you lack now, because you've taken a confidence, not you don't have the confidence and conviction your, your your framing is kind of very net neutral or at times yeah. pessimistic. Yeah, yeah. Vigorate you, right? And take that in, have clarity and structure about what you're there to do with your customer and take them on a journey, right? And then the rest of this will start to unlock itself. Um, I, I, I really like that. I really like that sort of little bit you just did then of, of how you uh, set the scene with a customer and not, it, it just sounds so there is a senior A at my um, company who kind of uses that sort of similar language as you did and, and the difference in his call to mine is just like it's, it's just like yeah night and day um, so I really appreciate that it's a great pleasure now please keep me updated with your your progress uh, I'd love to hear you out there crushing some records soon enough so yeah me to uh to meet you enjoy your sunday and please keep in touch yeah no i will i'll um i'll keep you updated um I'll, yeah it's, it's, it's great to be absolutely well enjoy your weekend thanks again take care yeah you too take care have a good one bye 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 great well lovely to meet you scott let me know how i can help yeah sure um yeah just uh thought saw your profile on linkedin and i saw your um kind of uh you reached out to your to your network about um doing some mentoring and and uh well so i'm not in in sales or, or in SaaS at all i i'm never turned down the opportunity to just pick someone's brains who's um smashing it really and just kind of uh see if i can take away anything i can implement in my own career and um work on a few things that you know uh, I'm, I'm in a corporate job um at the moment in London uh, and you know sometimes I I kind of feel that I put a lot of effort into in, into working for, for other people and I kind of uh, see myself driving to, to invest in myself a little bit more and I'm just kind of curious as to um, whether you've had that experience and uh, yeah just sort of listen to you talk really about about um, see if there's anything mutual that we have I can uh, implement. So tell me what you do Scott you said you're in corporate what would he do? Yeah, I'm so in creative, which is kind of right against the um, corporate landscape a little bit. But I work for Samsung. I'm an uh, industrial designer. So I work on uh, the mobile phones and um, domestic appliances uh, for Samsung. Very interesting. And so you you clearly put in a lot of work. You've been doing it, it sounds like, for, for a period of time. So... Uh, talk me, talk to me about just your job satisfaction. Are you, are you happy with what you're doing? Are you on a path to realize the vision you have for your life? Yeah, sure. Like, um, I've worked really hard to be honest, to get, uh, in, 
to get into in, in through the front door. Design's quite a competitive. Um, the bit of a it's like a bit of a race to the bottom with regards to you know how many people they spit out from colleges and universities and how many people want to enter the industry. So to get finally sort of I worked my way up from the lower end of um, design and then got this opportunity at Samsung and I've only been there since February. Um, it's kind of you know that 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 for me was like oh I've made it you know I've got into this job but I, I, the human condition you, uh, of kind of you, you get somewhere and and you know I, I'd say my satisfaction of my job is really good but um, and, and I love I love what I do and I love the guys that I work with but I kind of feel like um, well as in yeah as I said earlier like I kind of uh, spend a lot of my my day and, and working for someone else and you know when you're in a big corporation. Um, something you know you are a small part of the of, of the puzzle and, and and kind of i i i've got a big interest in entrepreneurship and i've got all these ideas about you know how i would you know potentially you know start a business or make money online doing you know selling some skills or you know and 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 what i guess my ultimate goal is to kind of like implement those things i'm very good at like coming up with ideas for how i kind of see my life panning out um, and using what I've learned at Samsung and my career to kind of like mold myself into, into that. Um, I wanted to know from you really, if, if they had any advice on like kind of following through on your like ambitions and struggling with that day to day kind of planning out of tasks and discipline and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, one of the greatest speeches in history, in my view is from Steve jobs when he's talking to his, uh, former Stanford uh, uh, peers. And one of the things that he shared when, in essence, people ask him, why did he you know, work at the pace that he did building Apple and Pixar? And he said he realized that he needed no greater motivation than knowing that one day he would not be here anymore. Mm. And as much as to some that may sound slightly morbid, I think that when you start to distill down that fact, Scott, that you have one shot at this. You've got one shot at life and one day you will just be looking back on your life, only reflecting on the things that you did do and also the things that you didn't do. Yeah. And you're never going to get this moment again. You're going to get a diminishing return on your time as you get older because you're going to have less energy, less vigor, less creativity. It's just something that none of us can escape. So where you're on this call right now, and I can hear in you that you, you've put in this work in corporate, but you're not fulfilled in that work. Clearly, it's when you start talking about the entrepreneurship, that's where the light in Scott starts to ignite. You've to yeah. mentally commit to the fact that say, look, I'm getting a diminishing return on every day of my time and the opportunity cost is too great for me to sit in this role for another day, month, or year. Now is the time to go for it. The, the question then becomes where you say, well, Alex, how, how do I do that, right? I, I've got this vision of what I want to do. How, how do I make it happen? And the big thing you've got to do, Scott, is break it down into bite-sizable milestones. I see one of the biggest threats to most people is they have this grand vision. So you design their life, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to work from anywhere. I want freedom, optionality. Great. So what does that mean in terms of what I need to do 
every quarter, every month, every day, every half day, every hour to start to make inroads towards that. And so I'd love for you to go out and actually write down the vision, write down the vision without any bars of what life would look like, and then start to break that down. And then you start to actually take action on the milestones. And what will blow you away, Scott, it's the feeling of momentum. When you start ticking things off a checkbox to say, right, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, it creates momentum. And it's that momentum that will help you then realize the vision. But if you just have the vision without the milestones and the momentum, you'll end up stuck because the vision will feel too big for you to take action on it. So I'll pause there. Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You basically confirmed kind of like what I kind of know to be true, really, with regards to, I think it's the way I'm, I am as a person, um, Alex, really, to be honest, like, you know, kind of if you think about, I've always had, you know, sort of seen myself in the future and you, you some would call it dreaming, I guess, but it, it's kind of aspirations and, you know, you build this kind of um, image of yourself in, in a certain situation, but um you know and occasionally you realize that 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 vision and that dream or you know or you create something equally good um out of nothing but i think for this it's like you you can you're bang on with regards to kind of um you have a finite amount of time and it kind of motivates me to yeah implement that kind of like um what i need to do in 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 bite-sized chunks and and uh and i definitely think like you know uh, in the past you know even if it's if I've got stuff to do for my work, I'll make a list and it doesn't feel really good, you know, when you're just sort of going through, oh, yeah, I've done that, done that, done that. And now I need to do that for myself, really. And um, I, I think that'll bring me what, you know, closer to, to what I to what I kind of, what I want, what I want. Absolutely. Scott, quick question. Does you, tell me about your environment, both in terms of where you live and the people around you. What does that encourage and foster where you're trying to go? Yeah, like um, I have quite a small uh, environment and community kind of. I, I live with my partner who's like unbelievable. Um, she's like incredibly supportive and, you know, really, really, you know, completes my, um, she, she really adds to, to, to my ability to kind of like my, you know, foster my dreams and, and, and follow through on, on, and she helps me to manage my time as well. You know, she'd be like, oh, you should, you know, do this. And, and you know, you, you said you were going to work on that. So it kind of holds me accountable really, which is really good. And because that's so strong, I kind of, I lack that kind of like, um, ment- I, I do think I lack kind of mentor, uh, strong kind of mentors in different industries and, um, including my own and, uh, and peers as well uh, i have to have some friends you know and who, who some some of which are doing really well but I, i'm always um because i'm not uh, overly extroverted as, as a person i uh my job's kind of silo as well a little bit um and heterogeneous it kind of uh you kind of miss out some feel like you're missing out sometimes on you know uh people like yourself um Alex and, you know, the, the people that can kind of have done there and, and, you know, broken through some walls and, you know, got some, uh, you know, really important messages and lessons to pass on. Absolutely. I mean, that's really just why I wanted to encourage Scott is that 
really try and actively create more circumstances in your life that make you uncomfortable, even for a moment or for a period of time, and also scenarios that hold you accountable. So just as a small tactical example, you know, I, I take a contrast shower every day that goes from extreme yeah. to extreme cold. So every morning, my day starts off with this feeling of not being comfortable. And I yeah. beat and I get... Exactly. And yeah. you've got to create more conditions in your life that breed that because that will be really important for you to make this shift. And the second thing is um, invest in a mentor. Invest in someone where you've parted with money in yeah. order for them to drive you forward. Um, it's one of the most underrated things to find someone who's walked the journey that you want to walk or walked or at least in part. You, you pay for their knowledge and their expertise and they will hold you accountable. It's a forcing function for you to go and be the person in this world that you need to be. And I, I spend over six figures a year on coaching. Uh, you know, I have five coaches in my life for different things, but that accountability and that constant yeah. forcing function has changed my life. And so that's the only other thing I'll leave you with on that, Scott. Amazing. That's really, really good. I, I really like that about accountability. As I said, you know, working for yourself and holding yourself accountable sometimes can be quite challenging. Whereas if you've got someone around you and you're invested in it, you know, that can, you know, that can help sort of equally uh, hold yourself accountable. I think it's really good. Thank you so much. Scott, please keep me updated. I'd love to hear how this unfolds for you. So enjoy your Sunday and all the best with everything. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for your time. Really Great. appreciate it. And Alex. Can Bye. Yeah, you too. Bye. Great to meet you, Samuel. Let me know how I can help. Oh, yeah. So, Alex. The, the 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 way I'd, I'd well, what I'd like your help with is SaaS sales. So getting into SaaS sales. Tell me more. So I have been in the sales um, industry for ten years now. Initially starting off with B two C and then moved into B two B space about five years ago, and I'm in the lift industry at the moment studying lift maintenance contracts. And I was looking to transition from that into SaaS sales purely because where I am at the moment, I've learned everything that I can learn in that space. And I feel like I've reached um, my tether with that. And I wanted to move into a space that offers more challenging um, opportunities and also more rewards. Got it. So you've been doing lift maintenance in essence for 10 years. Yeah, you're no, like, for five years. Five years, but you yeah. additional sales for 10 years. For 10 years, indeed, yeah. Got it. So you mentioned development is one component and earnings is another component. Sure. Talk to me a bit about why that's important in at this stage of your life. So from a development perspective, what I did realize in my most fruitful year of sales. So that would have been the, the B2C space that everything was sort of fast paced and it was challenging. It was 
there was the, 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 the effort, then the consistency was, everything was constant in that space. And that's when I produced the most in terms of results. Um, my metrics for the entire six and a half year when I was in the B2C space was 9.6 million in revenue that generated for the company. And moving into the, the, the lift maintenance, the lift industry, selling lift maintenance contracts, I find that that, that dropped, you know, due to the nature of the industry and how everything works with the lift maintenance contracts, by law, every lift in the country has to have a contract. And it's literally just a case of timing. Um, when you do approach customers, whether the contract is, um, the basis of somebody wanting to change would be, um, dissatisfaction. Uh, and then whether, when the contract reaches the end of it, um, life and it's due for renewal. That's when, you know, they, they will be keen to, to explore other opportunities out there to see what's available. Go ahead. And if, and outside of that, it will be breach of contract. Got it. Got it. And what about the earnings side of the house? So with the earnings side, um, my, what, one of my imminent goals or my, my first goal, if you like, is been to enter the six figure space. And at the moment in my position, based on my salary and the remuneration system that's in place, it's not going to be possible for me to be able to hit that six figure space would literally be due to be able, will be for me to do revolutionary numbers. So it's just not feasible at the moment in the space that I'm in. So with the SaaS space, it seems to be almost like a, like an entry that would just hit the six figure mark and where the workload essentially is going to be the same. The demands of sales, what I've found um, from my experiences, it's, it's, it's essentially going to be the same. The requirement's going to be the same. You're always going to hit up targets to meet and metrics to meet, to, to achieve. Yeah. What the reward in the say in the, in the SaaS space just seems to be so much better. What would someone expect to earn in your current role right now per year? Per year, realistically, at push you would be looking at, unless you've got a high salary, at push you'd be looking at, 60, 60 to 65. Got it. Okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah pretty good performance. Make, makes a lot of sense. Well, look, Samuel, from, from what I've heard, it's great to know that you've identified now is time for change. The SaaS sector, um, I call it the sector that democratizes wealth because it's still not very well known, but yet... Mm -hmm. Is the fastest path to significant earnings uh, if someone has the right DNA, can follow the right coaching, be in a great community, mm -hmm. the right ingredients, mm -hmm. no other career path that can speed run you to multi-six figure figures really quickly. I mean, mm -hmm. you expect someone who's entry level in a what we call an SDR role, you mm -hmm. really on target earnings between 70 and 80,000 and then mm -hmm. what promoted to a salesperson mm -hmm. then looking at on target earnings between anywhere between 110 and 130,000 and mm -hmm. so if you think of someone in their second year in a job and um, 
that's really where you're looking at six-figure earnings and then uh, reasonable uh, uh, SaaS sellers really are doing anywhere from 180 to 200K plus per year. So mm-hmm. uh, from a earning standpoint, mm-hmm. that's big tick in the box. Um, the other piece that's important to you is, is development. And so I wanted to understand more about from a skill set standpoint, whether there are particular skills that you've already identified that you wanted to develop or whether development for you is just really taking on a new challenge and being in a new segment. First and foremost, uh, from a development perspective, where I spent so much time in the B2C space, I was sort of familiar with picking up sales from a relationship and a discovery point, taking it to close. So pitching into close. Um, and when I moved into the B2B space, the preliminary stages were introduced. So that would be the, the, the prospecting and lead generation, you know, and then leading that into the discovery phase. And that's the bit that I found quite challenging um, due to just lack of mentorship and training. Uh, and, and support system when it comes to that. And that's where I feel like not only moving into the SaaS space, would I be, you know, introduce what, provide an opportunity to really explore that even further, but more so having your mentorship, I think would be, not I think, I know, would be um, ideal to, to take me to an elite level when it comes to that space itself. And generally just the entire sales process from a B2B space. Sammy, you, you really need to be in my program. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, my, my, my program, sashift.com, mm-hmm. was yeah. specifically created for your use case. Traditional mm-hmm. B2B salespeople, you know, want to double their income, earn significantly more. And SaaS is not an easy sector to break into. There's so much that goes into it that, mm-hmm. you know, our program literally takes you from A to Z, gives you the coaching, the curriculum, the mentorship and the support and placement to get you in a SaaS sales role. Have you, have you been on our website? Uh, have, have you, uh, I don't believe you've scheduled a call with us yet, have you? No, I haven't scheduled a call just yet. Um, this is literally the, the first uh, interaction I'm having with you, Alex. I've been trying to get your attention for, for, for a while now, but I think the best part of a year and a bit. But I appreciate that, you know, you're, you've been, you know, transitioning at an astounding pace and it just timing wasn't, wasn't right. So this is literally the first time we've had a conversation, which is great. Well, it's a great blessing. I really appreciate all the support. And Mm. as a follow up to this, Samuel, go on sashift.com. There's a short video to watch. Do that. We'll then take you to my calendar, book in some time and let's deep dive this make sure that we give it the time that it needs to really explore where you are now, where you're trying to go. Let's make sure we feel about helping you get there. Um, mm-hmm. Our job is is to set you up for multi-six figures and beyond within mm-hmm. the coming period. And I'd love to go on that journey with you. 100%. That, that would be great. And it would be my honor to have your support and, and to, to, to have your coaching through this. It's a great pleasure. Well, look, I'll, I'll look out for your... Uh, your your application will find some time in part two this but it's been great to meet you Samuel and uh, I hope you enjoy your Sunday I'm sure we'll speak very soon 100% thank you so much for your time Alex I truly appreciate it and uh, have a great Sunday too thanks so much take care now bye 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 bye
Brilliant. Well, Jadel, great to uh, meet you. What what state are you based in? Yeah, I'm based out of uh, based out of New York, uh, uh, upstate New York, right between uh, Syracuse and Rochester. What time is it where you are? It is uh, seven fifty a.m. What time, lawyer? It's ten to to one. So it's great, uh, great to speak to you overseas, uh, Jadel. Let me know how can I help. Yeah, so uh, I think the biggest thing that I want to, to understand is kind of like mindset, you know. Um, obviously, we talk a lot about, um, you know, I follow your posts, things like that. You talk about working hard, talk about staying dedicated. So I guess some of the biggest things that I'll ask are, what, what's the mindset that's allowed you to find the success that you've, that you've had thus far? It's a great question, and uh, you have my word that I'll answer it. Just before I get there, Jadel, tell me in, in short version about your story, personal and professional. Yeah. So, um, am I a driven individual, um, after individual, um, somebody who enjoys helping people find solutions? Um, and I'd say that's, you know, professionally. And not only that, but personally, I'm somebody who likes to help people accomplish their goals, realize their strong suits, realize their areas of opportunity, and just work to be a better person or whatever's important to them. In fact, it's important to me, both personally and professionally, and I like to do whatever I can to inspire people to have more impact in their lives altogether. Um, professionally, I've been in sales for over 10 years, software sales for the last three to four years or so. A lot of time in the e-commerce industry, into the fintech industry, which is really where I was able to kind of shine and, you know, learn more about my sales abilities in terms of working longer sales cycles, uh, building rapport, finding pain, uh, creating relationships, and using all those things to kind of get deals across the line. But it all started with me learning that I wanted to drive more impact. So, um, you know, that's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. And the fact that you're asking me about mindset tells me that there's either a, br a bridge, a gap that you want to bridge or you want to excel. You know, you're working to becoming best in class. So just help me understand what underpins the question. Yeah. So the undertone of the question is, is, um, I think that, you know, I've had a lot of success in my career. You know, I've transitioned from um, telecommunications into software sales. I have um, seen salary increases in every single role that I've been in, and I've, I've learned a lot. And um, I'm very proud of my success in my career thus far. But I think uh, I think I think there's there's being good and there's being elite, right? So what I would like to do is 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 become elite. You know, that's the position I want to put myself in and really show myself what I'm capable of. Um, so I think that obviously, you know, you've proven that you've been able to do that in your sales career. And I was just wondering what mindset helped you accomplish that. Great context. Thank you for that, Jadel. So on to your question. For the first three to four years of my career, Jadel, I, I excelled. But I excelled 
predominantly based on sheer hunger, drive, tenacity, and relentlessness. And I, I found a way, I always found a way to get to my goal and to get to where I needed to be. That was until one fateful day in that fourth year where I missed the sales target. And I was really frustrated because I'd had so much consistency up into that point. I said, how did this happen? And in the end, I diagnosed the reason that it happened was because I was solely sustaining on that raw hunger drive and tenacity. And I hadn't taken the time to create personal and professional operating systems that enabled me to drive more repeatable and predictable success. So it was the difference between just finding my way to the finish line versus like a science experiment being able to say, if I put in these inputs in this particular way and I do it on a daily basis, I know I'm going to get this output. And that was the, the mindset shift that I went through that took me from really being great to elite because I created systems personally and professionally that meant that my mind, body, and soul is, is just constantly at an optimized state. And so you may wonder, well, what does that look like in, in real terms? So to give you an example, professional operating system is wake up every day. First thing I do is I meditate before I touch my phone. Then I exercise. Then I take a contrast shower, which goes from extreme heat to extreme cold. Then I do typically 90 minutes of deep work while everyone else is still sleeping because this routine starts from 5 a.m. And so immediately, by the time people are waking up, mind, body, and spirit is primed and optimized. Then at my work, everything is systemized. So I know I have to do a set amount of things and a set amount of activity to drive a certain result. If I need yeah. more of that result, all I have to do is put in more of the input because we know that it drives the output. And so the difference you can see here is just the premise of systemizing things because it also means that you're then not reliant on your motivation. Some days you're going to feel up to it. Some days you won't. doesn't matter. You always deliver in line with your system. So I'll pause there. Is that helpful in some way? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, say that one more time. Does that answer your question? I mean, well, what it does is a few things. It 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 confirms that what I've been trying to accomplish and that my mindset is exactly where it needs to be. You know, I believe that uh I also believe that motivation is overrated. You know, it's it's up. It's down. Dry can be up, down. Hunger can be up and down. But one thing that can be consistent is is optimizing your schedule and your time so that you're repeating things that you know are going to put you in the phrase that they call the zone or the flow state, right? Which is exactly what you're talking about when you um when you speak about those things. And um, those are all things that I that I uh, try to do. Um, you know, that I've been, that I've been working on being more consistent with it. I also noticed that, you know, when I'm in that sweet spot, when I do those things to prime my mind to, 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 to do better for the day, because when you're in flow, I want to say your brain operates about 400% more efficiently than it normally does. I think that's an actual stat. So 
doesn't surprise me that 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 you said that. So basically, what I heard is that it's not necessarily about the drive, the hunger, or the motivation because those things can be volatile. But you can be consistent with your schedule and optimizing your mindset. Is that correct? You said it very eloquently and very well, Jadel. I, I love it. The the only other things that I would just add briefly um, are I talk a lot about forcing functions. Uh, and in that, it's things such as your environment, uh, the commu- uh, cumulative people that you are around, all of these things that will either uh, force and drive or accountability and performance or rescind you. And I know these are things that we hear a lot about, you know, the PPs, but they're just incredibly important. And so I'm always pushing the boundaries with environment and the people that I'm around. And the other component of this is consistently putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. So I talk about the importance of things like doing a a combat sport, a a sport where you're going to take some hits and you've got to bounce back and decide who who am I in this moment? Because the same thing as we both know, right? It punches you in the face and you've got to build an internal muscle where you can consistently take the hits and march forward. And so those are just some of the other things um, I would add in terms of these forcing functions and accountability layers that you also need to really prime yourself to be elite and to be effective in any given scenario. Okay. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, Jadel, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. It's been a great pleasure meeting you and please be keep me up with your journey. Sounds good. Will do. Well, what would be the best way to stay in communication? LinkedIn, email, say. LinkedIn is best. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for your time, Alec. Have a great Sunday. A great pleasure. Thanks, you know. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Never miss a tactic or actionable insight by subscribing to On Target wherever you get your podcasts. And if you gain value from the show, I would love it if you could share it with a friend and give us a five-star review. See you next time.